isn't that the natural tendency of most yes. parents is yes. to kind of swoop in and fix it? Oh, yeah. Swoop in, make it better. I got a oh, salve, absolutely. I got a wrench, I got a gel, I got a jam, I got, a, I got something, I got a treat to smooth it out. So what's this podcast all about, this financial sobriety thing we're doing? It certainly isn't a traditional conversation about money. There's lots of great people in our industry that talk the traditional game. This is going to be a very unconventional conversation about those three unbelievably complicated relationships that when you put them all together, you don't necessarily think of them this way, but the relationship that you have with money, the relationship you have with your people that mean the most to you, and then the relationship that you have with the person in the mirror. You mean those three relationships go together? They do, and it's a very complex interrelationship between them. And when those get a little bit out of whack, interesting things happen. Do you know anything about that? We should probably introduce ourselves. Who oh, are you? good idea. Jim Gephardt. And I'm Matthew Grishman. I'm your author of the book, Financial Sobriety, and we are going to have some great conversations, so stick around. Here we are. We're back. We're back talking about one of my absolute favorite things to talk about, which is the three C's of parenting. We're back here with some new material here in the summer of 2023, rehashing what I think is one of the most important things you and I have ever introduced to the tribe here, which is is getting some some answers to this mystery called how to parent our children, especially as as time changes and they grow and get old and there's an, and, there's, there's an app for that. There's an app for that. It can't be that hard. No. Hey, before before you go blowing into that there, Stanley, uh, what, yeah. what are you grateful for today? I'm grateful for caffeinated coffee. I was uh, on a course of decaf for a couple of months, and I'm grateful to uh, have the all clear to get back to one hot cup of caffeinated coffee per day. Man, when when I let things go for a little while, like last episode, I was super grateful just to be back here in studio with you because we hadn't done a ton of that. I um, it I hate taking breaks from things that are great, but I also appreciate the gratitude that comes from taking a break sometimes. So taking a break from coffee has given me a new sense of gratitude for my one cup of coffee today. There is nothing better than a great cup of coffee to start your day. <laughs> I know this, we could just make, we should be sponsored by some, you know, great coffee brand, but, uh, like when you, when you start your day with a bad cup of coffee, ugh, you might as well just like soak your feet in the bathtub and then drink that water. I'm going to be the worst parent on planet earth. If I start my day with a bad cup of coffee, I'm just going to say things that are so wildly inappropriate and so highly offensive and destructive to my children, but a great cup of coffee I'll go, I'll, I'll tag along Game with changer. that. I'll, uh, I'll also add that here at the shop, both your office and our office location, we have just uh, recently purchased some fancy coffee makers. Were the, was the purchase actually completed? By the time the show happens, it will be. Oh. <laughs> Woohoo! I'm excited. We've been looking forward to this for a while. So we will have the ability to make very nice coffees. Whether you prefer coffee or brown sugar oat milk latte, sure, or one of your favorite kind of fluffy brown fluffy. sugar oatmeal latte. Uh, there lattes. we go. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll, I'll use that. Decaf. I'll use that as my gratitude today. That awesome. We, we're making an investment in our team and our clients that we can 
provide them with a new standard, raising our standard. Love it. Love it. Love it. So speaking right. of, speaking of raising our standards, you know, this whole wishing that there was a, <laughs> some kind of a, uh, a manual for parenting, this three C's thing, as I was reflecting on it, knowing we were coming into studio today, it is, <laughs> I mean, whenever I see young parents, yeah, uh, one of my favorite things is when we get on an airplane. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I know where you're going with this. And you see a young parent with, uh-huh. with one with one child. Oh, how lucky are they? All of the accoutrements that they're trying to schlep onto the plane. Mm-hmm. And then the massive amounts of struggle that they're and having stress. with the child. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to be honest, uh, there's not a lot of compassion. Oh, Interesting. Because I look at them and I go, been there, done that with four. And then a wave of compassion comes over me like, okay, well, maybe maybe I can help them with something. But like, yeah, <laughs> good luck to you. <laughs> oh, thank, uh, I'm glad you came around on there. I was about to look no, at you and go, when, I, it, when did you become? Uh, no, it takes a little while because it's like, you know, I go back to enjoying my book or my podcast or the movie or whatever. Yeah. And I put my soundproof earbuds on that didn't exist uh, when we had littles. So the the, the these I, three C's yeah. these three C's are are really going to be fun to talk about. When I see that that couple on the airplane, my heart immediately explodes for them. I I walk right up to them. I put my hand on one of their shoulders. Probably risk myself getting shot or stabbed by doing that. But I just I put this compassionate hand on a shoulder, and I just share with them that I've been where you've been, and I point to the two knuckleheads that are generally with me on the plane now, and I show them that. Look, it gets better. That's one of the things about that stage of parenting that is one of the hardest things in the world. I remember a flight when Miles was an infant and Amy and I had him alone and he cried the entire four hours from Minneapolis back to Seattle. And we had the seatbelt sign on the whole time. We couldn't get up. It was one of the most, I I would even go so far as to say traumatizing travel experiences we've ever had. So when I see that young couple with the baby, with all the accoutrements, my heart swells. Because they're, they're in that very first stage of parenting, that cop stage of parenting, where their only job as parents is to keep that kid from killing himself, right? So you're constantly in this heightened state of alertness, right? You're, you're constantly, Always. like, Always. there's just adrenaline pumping through you at all times. And it's not an easy stage. It's exhausting. And you're, and you're, you're doing everything for your children. Everything you're feeding them, you're changing them, you're making sure you know, you're putting them down for naps, you're dressing them, duh, bathing everything. them. Yeah. But then something happens when they start moving where they get their first little bit of autonomy and they don't need you for everything, they can get up and go get themselves something, even when you we, don't want them to, <laughs> exactly. And and that's one of the hardest things I remember back then going from what we call the cop stage to that next stage of parenting, the coach stage, where our kids are, are they want a little bit of autonomy and they don't want us doing everything for them, but that's all we know how to do. All we know how to do is everything for them. So how do we start to back off, right? So th- this is the time when we're teaching them how to tie their shoes, right? We're co- The coach stage is where we go from doing everything to now we're showing them things, but then showing them for the benefit of letting them do for themselves, right? 
Yeah, that maybe that in my evolution was a long stage. It's not the longest stage, but that is a long stage of well, you would this many effectively letting go. Yeah. Right. And you would not them, right? Of not right. Of not trying to control everything for everybody all of the time, but letting some of that go and like you say, go into teach mode, right? Coach mode. Well, let mm-hmm. me sh- let me show you how to do this. Right. Right. And it's not always necessarily the physical thing. It's like, okay, well, I mean, I know you would like to eat cookies with every meal, but do you think that's a good idea? It's the first time you started asking questions, right? Versus telling them that that's probably a big difference between cop and coach. Good point. Is you start you start transitioning from these declarative, you know, tell them stuff to asking them questions to get them to start thinking for themselves a little bit. Oh, because let's just have a little fun with this for a second. Yeah. Telling a teenager what to do is just, <laughs> that is such effective parenting. I don't even know where to start. Feels good. Feels good for me. It feels, feels good. really good as a parent. It, it does. And it, it, it doesn't necessarily uh, work uh, with the well, same effect. Zero, zero effectiveness is telling a teenager what to do as you get through that coach stage. I mean, there, there are times I remember when Miles and Lucas were, you know, six, seven, eight years old, I could tell them things and they would do it. But once they hit about 13, 14 years old, we started evolving into the next stage, going from being coaches to consultants. And what I mean by that is they didn't want to hear anything from me unless they they asked. Yeah, right. Unless they needed, which, which I'll tell you, 13, 14, 15, 16 I would even go so far as to say 17 for my boys, both of them. My boys have a lot of, uh, they're very different. But one thing they had in common was from about the age of 13 till almost 18, they wanted very little from me. And anything I tried to say to them, tell them, was met with instant resistance. I, I don't know if anybody else in our tribe can relate to that, having teenagers and what? and providing unsolicited statements that we had some unreasonable expectation that would be not only heard but received. Well, the evolution of the species, right? I mean, as the beloved first grade teacher that all four kids, all four of our children had, used to tell us regularly, "You're raising your children to leave you." Yeah, thank heavens. So the that very was some nature, really good advice. Dude. Oh my God! In first grade that concept would come into our mind where it's like, okay, they're trying to figure this out on their own. They're distancing themselves from us. And all I kept thinking of was my dear, dear friend and probably the best coach I've ever had was my dear friend, Jim Kelly. Mm. And I would get into these situations where I wanted to tell the kids how to do something. Right. And I would have to take the energy off of it and I would have to wait and let them come to me with a question. But this is the best how-to I can give any parent right now that is in the early stages of the consultant phase. And if you work with consultants in a professional setting, you may see them do this. But let's say one of the kids comes, uh, oh, I'll, I'll give you a great example. Two days ago, Grace came home from a trip and she noticed that in her apartment that the cooling unit was leaking pretty dramatically. It was one of those, you know, up on the wall, I don't know what mm-hmm. they're called. Cooling it's units. Not, cooling units. It wasn't in the window or anything. So it was dripping down and there was a problem. She's like, 
Dad, the cooling unit is, uh, it's leaking like all over the couch and all over the floor. What should I do? And this, ladies and gentlemen, is the best consultant trick I've ever learned. Boy, Grace, that sounds like, that sounds like a real situation. I don't know. What would you do? You answer uh, the question with a question. I say, drop that mic. Now, let's be perfectly clear. You're in, I would call it stage two of consulting with your children right? If, if we're in early consulting stage and she's brand new figuring this stuff out and she's asking you a question, because I don't know about you, but my children from 13 to 17 asked me zero questions. So sure. 18, 19, sure. when I would actually get a question from my child, I would answer them, but I would answer and it like, so if, if that were my son and he were a couple of years younger than Grace, I might give him suggestions on who to call to get it fixed. You know, so, sounds like you got quite a problem there. I would uh, open up the yellow pages or what we call now getting on the iPhone and Yelp, and I would call an air conditioning repair person, right? But you're at a point now where your girls have been on their own for a while and getting them to start thinking about that as their next move, they're ready for that. Yeah. Some, some, some children are ready for that. Some are not. Yours I'm, are. I'm 60 miles away, so it's not as if I can run over with my uh, oh, my seven. Never about you. <laughs> my seven Spitzer valve and fix right. it, right? Right. But, but right. isn't that isn't that the natural tendency of most yes. parents is yes. to kind of swoop in and fix it? Oh yeah, swoop in, make it better. I got a oh, salve. Absolutely. I got a wrench. I got a gel. I got a jam. I got a. I got something. I got a treat to smooth it out. Look, this is review. For anybody who's been with us the last, you know, couple of years on the show, the reality is our children at this point in the consulting stage of life, whether they're new in it or we're, we're down the road a bit like you and I are, there are really only three unsolicited statements that any parent has any, any reason to say to that. These are the three statements you can say to your adult children, your growing children, where they will actually hear you and receive it. Everything else is going to be met it, mostly with it's, resistance. It's a maybe. <laughs> it's a maybe. But there, there are three things, only three things that you can say to your children, and everything else really should be a question. Gimme. And that's, I'm gimme. proud of you. No, I got, <laughs> right. I, I got the answers. Let me see if I okay, let's make it. Let's gamify this for a second. Okay. I want, I need, and gimme. Those are the three you should ask your children? Sure. I love it. Well, well it's that's coming what one they're going to ask other. you. Sure. True. Sure. I, I think if you go with the proud of you, love you, believe in you. Those are three things that going back to something we talked about last episode, when we were discussing the importance of the greatest investment we could ever make is within ourselves. Part of the tenants to doing that is about protecting your confidence. As parents, you've always taught me one of my most important jobs as a dad is to protect my children's confidence in themselves. So telling my children that I'm proud of them, especially when they make mistakes and they're not feeling their best and watching them sit with those feelings of failure and telling them, I'm proud of you because you're sitting there with those feelings of failure, right? How do you know what to do next, what the next right thing is if you don't sit there and experience that pain, that gift of failure, right? Yeah. I'm proud of as, you for going as, through that. As I have said before, letting them, uh, allowing them to sit in their dirty diaper for a little while. 
and hopefully and at this feel, point in their life, figuratively. Feel and feel that. Yeah, certainly figuratively. Yeah. I mean, and who doesn't want to hear those things? I'm proud of you. I love you. I believe in you. Right. right? E- everything else really needs to be a question. Now, with that said, as relationships evolve, what, what I've learned since the last time we recorded last summer with the three C's and especially this consulting stage of parenting is that my boys are now at an age where I can start speaking to them with what I need from them, especially now that they're both back home where I've got now four adults living under the same roof, cohabitating and, and helping my boys understand that the relationship at home has changed. It's no longer mom and dad and the kids. It's now four grown adults cohabitating sharing responsibility and working together harmoniously to make this, you know, cohabitation happen. I have found a new love, thanks to you, out on the golf course. I'm still not very good at it, but there's a love that I have found, uh, a sense of peace and serenity, especially on a beautiful track where when I go out there, I am searching for peace, serenity, just quiet. I don't care what my golf game does. In fact, the more strokes I take, the better, because it's the longer I get to spend out on the golf course. I was going so to suggest not so- hiking. Just get, well, get the we're getting back to of, that. Get the frustration of golf out of it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a little easier to to hit a local golf course sometimes than it is to get up in the sure. stair and, and, and find a, a trail. Sure. But so, so the last couple times I've been out playing golf, Lucas has come with me, which, you know, he's not a golfer, but he's wanted to spend time. Two golf trips ago, he was really crabby, really upset with every shot he took. And granted, this is a kid who doesn't play golf very often. So, of course, he's not going to be good at it. But I'm, I'm watching him get really angry, and he's yep. bringing all this negativity and complaining. Yep. And, and I was getting angry. I was getting resentful over the fact that he brought that out into my golf game. And what I needed to do was I first, I, I couldn't go blast him like I wanted to. What I, what I wanted to say to him was, dude, you have to knock this off. Get this out of my round of golf. But I've learned that every time I make a you statement at one of my children, they shut down. They can't hear me. So I spent some time with this. What was my part in this? Here, here I am feeling angry and resentful towards my son. But did I have a part in this? And I did. I mean, I reasoned this out with you, with some friends, and and my part in this was that I had this expectation of how he would behave without sharing with him first what I needed from him that day. Do I know my kid doesn't play golf very well and can snap and get emotional in like a hot second? Yes, I know that about him. But yet I chose to bring him out there anyway without setting up any kind of expectations about what I needed. So fast forward, a week later, we're going to do this again. Miles and I are going out to play. We both enjoy the serenity of golf. And what does Lucas do? Hey, Dad, can I come? Pause. Okay, Lucas, I would love to have you come with us. Here's the thing. I need to have a place of peace and serenity when I'm out playing golf. I need to be removed from negativity. I need to be removed from complaining so that I can just get plugged into a beautiful space to bring my blood pressure down because right now, buddy, my health depends upon it. I'm going through some health stuff that I need that peace and serenity on a Sunday. So if you can honor that and you can bring that with you, you're welcome to come. We had one of the best days I've ever had with my two sons out on a golf course. I watched Lucas hack and whack 
and lose more balls in the woods with a smile on his face than I've ever seen him in my life. And that was simply from sharing with him what I need and what I want, rather than pointing my finger at him and telling him how he needs to change his behavior. Yeah. He changed his behavior by honoring what I needed that day if he wanted to participate. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge lesson learned as a parent deep in the consulting stage of parenting, of life. Yeah. It was I, awesome. I can't uh, help listen to your story and not, and not think of some of the coaching work that I'm getting back into with Dan Sullivan. Sure. And this concept of the gap. Mm. And what's the gap? Well, as you and I have talked about on the show, we talk about it in their business all the time, is this concept of measuring progress that you make looking backwards, not forwards. So super, super simple. Instead yeah. of instead of trying to make progress chasing towards something, that something is acting like the horizon and you're never going to chase it. That's the ideal, right? So the ideal round of golf before you set an expectation with Lucas was that it was going to be in your mind, this very serene, peaceful, enjoyable thing. Mm -hmm. And you fell into the gap because it wasn't measuring up to the ideal. Oh, right. You're spot on about that brother. In Lucas's case, he had this expectation probably of playing great golf. Right. And it wasn't measuring up to his ideal in his head. So he quickly went in the gap. And as I, as I listened to you say that, and then, and as I've been just reacquainting myself with that concept, I've been in the gap on a lot of different things in my life. But anytime you start to feel frustration is a recognition to hit the pause button for a second and go, okay, wait a second. Do I have some, some expectation of an ideal? Oh, right. Okay. So we're running 10 minutes late. My ideal was to leave the house five minutes ago, 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago. I'm all frustrated and hot and bothered because we're running 10 minutes late because I'm measuring that against an ideal. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's versus a, if you measured that in, in arrears, maybe the last time you left the house a half hour late. Today, I left 10 minutes late. That's, that's progress, brother, that's, right? That's, prog that's progress. Looking so, in arrears. So I love I love the I statements. And I, I mm -hmm. just in general like setting expectations. Like we call them in our house when we're trying to leave and go somewhere. We call them Beth diagrams. <laughs> Not Venn diagrams, Beth diagrams? Well, I can't spell Venn diagram. Okay. Uh, a Beth diagram is simply working backwards on what the schedule is. So if we're mm. trying to be out the door at one o'clock, what do we need to do and have these different little milestones? And then that way we know if we have to adjust that one o'clock, because if we're ahead on the Beth diagram, we're good. If we, but, it, but what it does for everybody else, myself included, is it helps set an expectation. Mm -hmm. It set an expectation that the purpose of this round of golf today is to go out and to enjoy the beauty and the serenity and our time together. And if we hit some good golf shots, that's a bonus. Yes. And setting that expectation helps not let the ideal sneak in, which is we're going to play supreme golf, which none of you are prepared to do. It's just nope. going to be accidental. Right. So except on the putting green, I'm great there. Yeah, you are. <laughs> if you measure, if you measure your progress on your putting, uh, in arrears, in Oof. arrears, you've come a million miles. I'm almost right? world ranked, brother. Oh, 
so this these three phases are just they're so interesting and obviously the consultant stage is going to be the longest because once the little birdie leaves the nest and now you know you've got an adult child that goes on the longest phase and I love it because now I'm starting to see how the girls come, you know, and and ask their father consultant for the A word advice. Oh, there you wow. go. Wow. Like the thing I thought would never happen during mm-hmm. those very dark desert years in the in the teens when I didn't know shit about Shinola, as my dad would say. And now you get the well, Dad, what do you think I should do about my career, about my living situation, about my monthly budget? Well, good on you for realizing, and, and my children are there too, that the best way to answer those questions are with questions, by getting them to think about, well, you know, I don't sounds, know. sounds like a great thing to explore. What would you do about it? What do you think you should do about it? Exactly. That is, I mean, you, you we and got, I- We got two, I'm pointing to my ears. We got two of these shows. We got two of these and one of those, right? Two ears, two ears. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. So you're, you're going to hear, I mean, we got all the best stuff coming between those three stages of cop coach consultant. We just wanted to put a little fresh spin ahead of uh, a timeless, timeless episode. So here we go. What are the three C's of parenting cop coach consultant? Let's get into it. Take it away. Ace. I was thumbing through this this old rag that I wrote here a year and a half or so ago, this book we have called Financial Sobriety, Rebuilding Your Relationship with Money One Step at a Time. And every once in a while, like so many of the books that you and I read that have been very influential, is I just like to open it up to a certain section and just reread that section. Yeah. And the one that I just happened to open up recently is the chapter I wrote called Teach Your Children on page 61. And I I thought with the whole theme of graduation and halftime, this would be a good thing to talk about today because I know I've found in the last couple of weeks since high school graduation has happened for Lucas that I've had lots of opportunity to sit down and talk with him and, and just ask him lots of questions about where he's at, how he's feeling, he's dealing with a little bit of feeling stuck. And, and having this incredible opportunity to just ask him some questions and plant some seeds and get him thinking about how to get unstuck. This is something that's a relatively new skill set for me, this ability to sit down with my boys and be that very effective parent, that consultant in their life who's able to ask questions and plant seeds for them and then let them go out into the world and explore and water those seeds and see where they go. I feel like there's something to this idea that old dogs can learn some new tricks. Sure. I mean, for so long, I beat myself up for not being the parent that I've always wanted to be. I was in that place of comparison because I've, I've been around you and Beth for so long now and, and pretty much watched you raise your children with so much admiration for the choices that you've made, the decisions that you've made. And as good as I felt about that, I've also been stuck in that comparison mode for so long. Well, let's, let's unpack. Thank you for those kind words, but let's unpack the concept of comparison. Please do. Because that's been something that has been the basis for all of my unhappiness for so long. There we go. That that is exactly the point of unpacking this, is to slow it down for a second and appreciate that the concept of comparison is a very dangerous tool because you find yourself doing exactly what you've described, Right. right? This is in the context of parenting. I mean, it could be 
driving down the freeway and you see somebody in a really cool automobile and you go, God, I am such a loser because I don't have that. I don't have that cool car right. or that cool house right. or that cool whatever it is. And yet, as you and I talk an awful lot, everybody's journey on the inside is different than how the outside looks. Yes. And that's what I was doing is I was comparing what I saw on the outside in your family to how I was feeling on the inside yeah. about my own parenting. Yeah. Looking at the relationship your children have with one another, looking at especially the girls, especially Emily and Grace, and how motivated and driven they are to go chase their dreams, and hearing about how you and Beth fostered that and what you sacrificed in your own lives and the selflessness that came from that. And initially, for a lot of years, I wasn't able to celebrate the beauty in that because I was so stuck in this space of comparison. Gotcha where I had these envious feelings that turned into jealousy in a lot of ways, and they had absolutely nothing to do with you. It was all my own ego hijacking this by, yeah. by getting me into this place of comparison. Absolutely. Welcome to comparison. Holy cow. The difference today of being able to be with your family and celebrate just how awesome your family is and the children and the relationship that they have with each other, because I no longer look at it from a comparison standpoint, because I even started thinking about this concept of old dogs can learn new tricks and how it's really not about old dogs learning new tricks. I mean, we, we get so set in our ways at such young ages in our lives that it becomes hard to get out of that. I mean, I, I remember Miles, when he was two years old, I mean, taught me my very first lesson in this concept that old dogs can learn new tricks. I mean, he was two years old, and we, we took him to his very first movie. We took him to see Pixar back in the day. Just it seemed like every year they, they had another. Were, they were incredible, phenomenal. I mean, award-winning movie every single year. I feel blessed that we had little kids at that time. Oh, it was a great time to to raise your children and, and have that first experience with them. That very first movie we took Miles to see was called Monsters, Inc. Oh, it wasn't Gone with the Wind? No, no, no. Okay. We, 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 we're going to wait till the kids are a little older for that one. But, gotcha. You know, Pixar had that film, Monsters, Inc. He absolutely loved it. I mean, two years old, just became the center of his life after going to that movie. His preschool lunchbox, his pajamas, his bed sheets. He had these fat heads on the wall of his house. Every toy, every book, every little figurine. His entire life became Monsters, Inc. Fast forward a year later. Schindler's List? Well, Pixar came out with a new movie that was a little different from Schindler's List, although there was some recurring <laughs> theme in this next movie. And with the hint of Schindler's List, what do you think the second movie was? Do you remember? It was in 2000. Let's see. Miles was born in 2000, so 02. So this was 2003. Ghostbusters. Close. Try again. Mm. Pixar. A fish. Just Keep Swimming. Good. What movie was Just Keep Swimming? Nah, Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. So Miles is excited. We're going to another movie. He hasn't been— Oh, he is excited. Oh, he's excited. We're going to another Pixar movie. About— About monsters. About monsters. Yeah, buddy. This movie's about fish. I, Not going. I don't like fish. I don't want to go see fish. I want to go see monsters. And he, for days, was just in complete I'm-not-going mode. And as we walked into the movie theater, Miles started melting down. I am not going to this movie. I am not going to see it. If it's not monsters, I won't see it. So I leaned into Amy. I whispered to her. I said, go, go, go find us some seats. I'll get him in the theater. Because at this point, he's now laid out on the theater floor, stiff as a board, 
absolutely refusing to go in. That's just a very memorable, proud moment as a parent. It's not, it's not really anything you've had any control over. It's just a toddler doing what toddlers a, will do. A toddler doing what toddlers do, and I found myself getting really angry. Yeah. And I was so proud of myself for not picking him up and throwing him through a plate glass window that day, which yeah. would have been problematic, but it was definitely some of the thoughts that oh, I was having Oh, the cartoon bubble, absolutely. Oh, it was there. I finally just reached down on the floor and I grabbed him by the seat of his pants, picked him up with one hand, put him over my shoulder, and we walked into the theater with him kicking and screaming. And of course, as soon as we get in, the only seats Amy had found was in the very front row. But as we walked in and I sat him down on my lap and I pinned him there, the movie had started and it was that opening scene where Nemo's mom is chomped by a barracuda. And right as that happened, Miles' head just swung around on a swivel and was like right on the screen fixated. Whoa. And then the next thing you know, and I kind of wish we had a little video for this so I could show this to you, but he just sat there calmly and started eating his popcorn and could not take his eyes off the screen. So fast forward, we get home. The monster's fat heads come down. Up goes Nemo and Dory. And of course, Brucie the shark. And all the different characters, the PJs get swapped out, the bed sheets, the lunchbox, all of a sudden Nemo is now his life. I'm having fish tonight! <laughs> he did. He got fish sticks for dinner almost every night after that. I could go on and on for the next four years. This happened. This was a cycle that went on and on for the next four years. And it was one of the later Toy Story movies that he actually got to this place where he was excited about going to see a different movie, a new movie. And it was really that example that taught me for the very first time that it really isn't about old dogs learning new tricks. It's about any dog learning any new tricks. Sure. And it's something that at a very young age, we get so set in our ways that it's hard to open our mind up to another way of thinking, another way of living, another flavor of ice cream we might like, another movie from Pixar we might like. Yeah. And so it taught me. I mean, I hated the failures that I had as a parent. And I pretty much doomed myself to just being this very mediocre parent. But through that experience with Miles and you doing such a good job of reminding me that, because I've told that story before, it, you know, it was, it, was a, it was something I wrote in my first book about and just something we've talked about. It's a central part of our practice and how we run our private wealth management practice that you know, we're a couple of old dogs always learning new tricks to be constantly better at our craft for our clients. It's what we do with this podcast, the messages that are going out and the timeliness of those messages, the guests that we're bringing on the show, the more guests we're going to bring on the show. I can't wait to see where this thing goes because you and I are a couple of old dogs learning new tricks. There's a, a great book. I'm blanking on the name of the book. The author's name is Carol Dweck, and she writes about mindset. Mm. And do you have a fixed mindset or do you have a growth mindset? And if you feel as though you're stuck in this area or you have a family member that's stuck or a child that's kind of stuck, uh, this is a wonderful book because this concept of the growth mindset is, is really what we're talking about here. Our very intentional mindset around being open to growth and open to change and seeing things differently and not being stuck in our ways. You and I very easily with 51 years combined in the business could be extraordinarily stuck in our ways. Yeah. This is how we've done it. This is how we are always going to do it. And, you know, hell hath no fury if we're going to change it. Right. But 
that's one of the I think the the biggest takeaways for me with with all that we've been doing here is is just staying open to change because the overwhelming part I think from for me is the rate of change is accelerating. Oh yeah. And that's the part that tends to shut me down. Yeah. And so I have to go off and find my quiet and whatever that is and just get over the fact that, you know, change is happening at a faster pace. Let's let's stay open, let's stay positive and upbeat and it's remarkable what happens. Well, you I mean, here's one big point of change is talking about going away and finding your space to allow the change to happen. It's in here. It's in this podcast studio when you and oh, I come for, here. For, for us, absolutely. I mean, this this has become our laboratory. I mean, what we've really created here for ourselves, and, and thank you, Ace, for being such a huge part of creating this space for us, is, is we've got this safe space to experiment, to go play with these new concepts and ideas and and thoughts and mindset. You know, I, I don't know if it's Carol Dweck and, and the book that she wrote that you got this from, but I mean, you've always said to me, if the best time to plant a tree was 21 years ago when Miles was born, the next best time is is right now. Well, and let's let's pick on Miles some more. His passion, his both vocation and hopefully avocation is flying. Yeah. And I am reminded time and time and time again that a plane is off course 99% of the time. Right. Right. And the reason that they're using autopilot is those little minute corrections really can't be done by hand. Right. And if if human beings are more flawed than an airplane, because uh, humans are flying the airplane, right? then 99% of the time we're off course. Yeah. And that's why I think so much of these concepts and that, you know, 20, 21 years ago was the best time to plant a tree. Well, guess what? We're, you know, we're, we're off course again. Yeah. Well, and that's whether whether it's our jobs, whether it's our work, this idea of, of constantly changing and being open to that change, I was really stuck in the parenting space. I was really stuck in this idea of what am I actually really teaching my children? And to think that I could take from your example and some of the other examples that I've seen out there of what I call really, really strong parenting, really selfless, good parenting, responsible parenting, and how to not only be able to help my children with these three very complicated relationships they have in life, right? Their, their relationship with self, their relationship with people, their relationship with money, being able to start today with a 21-year-old and an 18-year-old and see some profound changes happening quickly, it just reinforces the confidence that I have in this ability to change, this ability to no longer compare what I see in others with what I'm not doing myself, but rather use those examples as the basis to make change, to plant those trees today, to see those trees that have seeds and water them and watch them grow and and watch some incredible things happen. Absolutely. And one of the big things that I've observed and one of the things that that you've said quite often, maybe not on the podcast, is we can spend our time hoping for a better past or we can do something about it because what got us to this point isn't going to get us to where we want to go. Let's take it to our, our business. What All the years that we've been doing this, what has gotten us to this point has been wonderful. Whether it's been a bad situation or a good situation, it's gotten us to this point. But the skills, the talents, the abilities, the mindset, the relationships, the connections, the whatever you want to call it, isn't going to get us to where we want to go. So that growth mindset is so vital to being open to 
new ideas and course correction. And then you get the supercharge of seeing the, the kind of improvements and enhancements to your relationship with your boys and what the boys are, are doing in life and, and the responsibilities that they're taking on and all that. And that's just like, that's like jet fuel. That's yeah. just like whoosh in terms of an accelerant to get you moving even faster. Yeah, that this is this is probably one of the biggest halftime conversations I've had in the locker room with myself with Amy is, you know, just kind of assessing not necessarily the halftime of 2021 like we've talked about in the last couple of episodes, but almost like halftime in our role as parents. Yeah. Right? We we've gotten past the adolescence stages and now we've got two boys that are young adults that are on kind of the precipice of launching into the world themselves. Mm-hmm. And so there's a little bit of halftime in that. And and one of the things that this idea of planting trees 21 years ago and the next best time of planting them now, knowing that this old dog could learn some new tricks, the, the first big question was, well, how do I right the ship? I mean, when first when I look at how I, I need to move forward, it's really important to really take an inventory of what I saw as some of the biggest missteps of the past. Now, very important for for my growth, for my benefit, it wasn't about looking at these past mistakes or choices that I made to kick my own ass further, to beat myself up even more, to feel bad about them. Okay, It was really about taking that inventory, much like when we talked about in episode five about running your family balance sheet like a business. What is one of the very first things that we need to do to get our financial house in order? Go out to dinner. That's the first thing. But what do we do when we get back from dinner? Buy something online? Yeah, or we could use the 10-10-10 principle to avoid that. Okay. But come on, stay with me here. I'm trying. I know. you got. By the way, you do look nice in your, cl- in your clown suit today. Th- thank you. Sparkly butterfly. Yeah, the red nose, the white face. That you, oh, you did good with your uh, clown paint today. I'll do the uh, balloon animals here in a minute. <laughs> I mean, come on. What, what's that first thing that we have to do if we want to get our financial house in order? Take an inventory. We have to know where we stand. Yeah. We have to take an inventory and look at the past, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the three big things that I felt like I wasn't giving my children was first and foremost, that gift of failure. When they were little, I did everything for them. And as they grew older, I, I fixed everything. I was there to fix everything. I didn't give them that opportunity to fall down, skin their knees, and the gift of picking themselves back up and the feeling that that gives somebody, the confidence that gives somebody. That is a very natural parenting tendency. Yeah. I think today they call it the smoother. They call it the bulldozer. They call it the helicopter mom. Yeah. Where they come in, they swoop in, they smooth the path. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I felt like I wrote the book on that. But knowing that that's what I did and was able to write about some very specific examples, and if these were to happen again, what could I do differently? Yeah. Right? That was a very empowering exercise. The idea of having these expectations that my children follow my path. I mean, you said it a few minutes ago. Miles' dream since the day he was three years old was to be an airline pilot, to fly airplanes. Yeah, That wasn't my path. And although I wanted to see him do that, there was something in me that said, hey, you've got to go down this traditional route of go to school, get good grades, get into a good college, get a degree, fall in love buy a house, have children, right? Do, do the path that I was meant to do. And I struggled to honor the fact that his path might be a little different to go chase his dreams. And that's the hardest part in all of this. Oh, is so letting, hard. Is letting go. Yeah. And 
how many stories, how many movies, how many relationships do you know where the controlling aspect of the parent wanting either wanting them to do it a certain way or wanting to smooth over the bumps and the struggles that the person had. I mean, I had I had a conversation yesterday with a client who desperately wants to leave seven figures to each of their three children to the detriment of her happiness in life today. Mm. And her CPA and I sat there and went, hmm, is that actually going to help them? Or are you actually taking something from them by giving them the money? A gift, right? So was, she, was, she thinks was, she's giving them a gift. She thinks she's giving them the gift of money, but we were actually having a much deeper conversation about actually what are you removing? What are you taking from them? Right. And she's like, well, I don't want them to have to struggle the way I've struggled. Okay. But hasn't that made you who you are today? Hasn't that made you the, the successful person that you are today? So, I mean, so often what you and I like to do is to get people to slow down because of the very fact that there's some artificial path to happiness that so many people think it, it, it is. Get through, good grades. Right, through money. Get to a great school. Got to get to the – you, you must – you must get into the very best school you can. Why? Because that because that somehow assures you happiness in a job. A job that'll make you money. Come on, that's a bag of crap. That's I'm hot now. That's a bag of crap. Yeah. I can show you a lot of really rich people who are miserable today. Amen, hallelujah. And they took the traditional path. They took the path that I took. They took the path that you took, that we were taught to take. And here I've had this expectation of myself that my children must follow that path. And to your story about the conversation you had with this client yesterday, how much time has she spent teaching her children about the great responsibility that comes with money? Ah, uh, yes. And w where we got to in our conversation was, if this is what you want to do, then this is what you want to do. We're not going to stop you from doing it. Right. But what I said was looking back on it, it was kind of profound. I said, this is the easy part. And she looked at me and she's like, I don't understand what do you mean. I said, the hard part is preparing the children for the money. This is easy. Just this, you know, okay, we're going to wave a wand and legally this will go here and this will go here and they'll get the money one day. But as you, I, I've stolen your analogy and used it 400,000 times. If we don't spend the equal amount of time preparing the children for the estate, then it's going to go to, you know, Best Buy, Mercedes-Benz, Amazon, sure, whoever, right? It's gone. Well, and that's, you know, sometimes I kind of feel like that uh, do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do guy because for, you're right. For years, I've been sharing with clients that we can spend the next two to five years preparing your estate for your children. But if we don't prepare your children for the estate, bye -bye. all the money's going to go to the Mercedes-Benz dealership yeah. and Best Buy and Nordstrom and Marriott Vacation Club and Southwest Airlines right. and – and there's not going to be anything left based on the values of what created this wealth in the first place. There's no struggle. No. Yet here I was not doing that for my own children. I have so much regret over the fact that I didn't teach my children about the great responsibility that comes with financial resources at an early age. However, I have much like I always have that 10-10-10 thing ringing in my head. Right. I have that if the best time to plant a tree was 21 years ago, the next best time is right now. Well, you've done two things that both truly extraordinary and extraordinarily rare. Number one is you've written a book, and that book is a legacy 
to your children and subsequent generations of your family on your thoughts, beliefs, missteps, misguidance, and your unbelievably vulnerable story of, as you like to say, what a train wreck you were with your relationship with money. It's in print forever. Digitally, too. Yeah. So it's it's inescapable to future you know generations of Grishmans. Who does that? I believe you 95% of the time when you say you're not beating yourself up, but there's still some beating yourself up in there. Let's just, <laughs> sure. I mean, let's. Well, but it's less, right? And this is, this is all progress. And that's the thing. It's not like one day I just woke up and stopped kicking my own ass for my past. Right. It's, it's been this gradual process where I notice I do it less and I catch myself quicker and it allows me to shift into that mindset because of some of these things that are now yeah. hardwired into my head. Amen. Right. Some of these things that we'll we'll continue to talk about today. I mean, for me to be able to start this process of writing the ship, to to answer the question you asked me, how did I get to that place Mm -hmm. where I could stop comparing what I saw in your family on the outside to how I was feeling on the inside? Mm -hmm. The first thing I had to do was first recognize what stage of parenting I was in. Right. Where, Where am I? Part of taking that inventory of looking at some of these past choices that I'd like to change going forward was also recognizing what stage am I at as a parent. And what I mean by that is was— Is this from the parenting manual? Because I, I missed that class. Yeah, yeah, this is from the parenting manual of got the idea from this guy and this guy and this guy and that person and this woman and that— So I, I'm, I'm Catholic. We'll have true confessions here for a second. I'm Catholic. You're Jewish. Right. Right. And That's what have, they tell me. We have playfully talked about this show should sometimes be referred to as the Jew and the Gentile, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I can tell you as a Catholic, there's no parenting manual. So it sounds like to me in the Jewish faith, there's some kind of a parenting manual that you get because you, you have a sense of where you are in your role as a parent, right? <laughs> Actually, what the Catholic Church should do with parenting is they should give you dice and send you a, a, to a craps table and you just keep rolling until you, you know— you hit seven. You hit seven and you're, you're out. Right. But it, it sounds like you've got a manual that really we should repackage and sell because I have no idea what stage I'm in in parenting. I'm in the tired stage of parenting. I'm, in the, I'm looking for a sabbatical from parenting. <laughs> That's coming soon. Oh, good. Yeah. Like every seven years I get a sabbatical? Exactly. Okay, good. Then right. I'm ready for three of them in a row. <laughs> right, in, right, right in time for With grandparenting. With a 21-year-old. Yeah. yeah. Right in time for grandparenting. Well, I mean, outside of the book that I remember Amy bought for us when she was pregnant with Miles, What to Expect When You're Expecting. Oh, of course. That's a staple. Yeah. Even uh, for Catholics, that's a staple. Right. I don't know of a manual. So it's it's really just— Oh, come on. I, I was hopeful. I know. I'm, I, I wish I had one. Perhaps we'll write it. Financial Sobriety for Parents. There we go. That's coming. There that, we go. That's coming. A friend of mine, he shared this with me. And I guess the, the manual of parenting is I hear things— and they just sound right to me intuitively. And a friend of mine shared this with me. And God bless Vinny, if you're listening, thank you very much for sharing this with me. He described parenting as being three different distinct stages, mm. much like the way you and I have described retirement, right? Retirement is not just this universal period of not working. There are distinct stages in retirement. We've talked about that, right? The go-go years, the slow-go years, the no-go years. Parenting has the very same breakdown in stages. And when he said it to me, it just, it sounded right. It felt right. Stage one of parenting is the cop stage. Oh, I thought it was going to be the clueless stage. 
Well, that's pre-parenting. Okay. That's the when you get the how to expect when you're expecting Gotcha. Book, right? You're in the clueless stage. Gotcha. Okay. So but, cop, sorry. Right. So once you've read that book and you actually get to the first stage of parenting, it's, it's the three C's of parenting. It's the cop stage. It's the coach stage. It's the consultant stage. When's the emeritus stage? Like parent emeritus. I don't think there's ever parent emeritus <laughs> because I've got a 76-year-old mother as a 49-year-old man who still likes to occasionally be the coach. Uh, sure. Even though I'm at that stage in life where what I really need is the consultant yes. parent in yes. my life, right? Well, I mean, let, let's talk about that because I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to talk about this. I hope I can contribute. Oh, I, I think you can because we've all been that cop. When our kids are little, what's our job? We do everything. We do everything for them. We do absolutely everything for them. We make all these decisions. Why? Because if we don't, they're going to kill themselves. So our son, Jack, who's 14, he's an absolute little entrepreneur in the making. And he found himself with an opportunity to do some babysitting this week, which I, my concept of babysitting and what babysitters are paid is like the 1980 stamp story he used to talk about, which is like, what, 15 cents, right? No, he's getting a lot. He's getting like $17 an hour to do this babysitting. Wow. Yeah. So I come home after some meetings and I'm like, hey, where's, where are the boys? Oh, Grant's outside and Jack's, Jack's taking a nap. I was like, does he feel okay? What's the, what's the matter? No, no, he came back from the babysitting and he was exhausted. So I went in just to check on him and he was lying on his bed and he was waking up and I'm like, hey, buddy, how are you? Oh, Dad. Oh, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I'm like, Siri, Siri, what's what what has you so tired? I was chasing this four-year-old around for like four and a half hours today, and I'm just I am wiped out. And I had this smirky little smile that I have. If you know me, you know it well. And it's this little smirky smile, and I just I went over to him and I kind of patted him on the chest and I was like, Uh-huh. You're welcome. <laughs> And he looked at me, he was scratching his head. He's like, what do you mean? I said, just think about that for a second. I've been doing this for 20 years. And you sometimes wonder why your mother and I at 8 o'clock after dinner when we're watching something on television, one of us or both of us pass out. In that stage of parenting, you're doing everything for however many children you have. Yeah. And it's exhausting. So the, the cop, the, the cop, yeah, think the about cop it. I mean, there's a reason you have kids when you're young. Right? Right. Because hopefully. Hope, God, hopefully. God bless my brothers-in-law. God bless Steve and Eric, who both had their first children well into their 40s, and they've got to be the cop in the cop stage. I mean, you got to chase this little kid around because he wants to go to the kitty litter box and shove it in his mouth and stick his finger in the socket and, ooh, let me go run down these stairs. And if we just let our little children at two, three, four, five years old do that, they're going to hurt themselves. I really appreciated your comment to Jack about how exhausted you are after 20 years of parenting. What I have found is I played the cop role, and there was a part of that cop role that went way beyond when it needed to be. You know, there, there's a point when our children, probably when they go off to school for the first time, preschool, kindergarten, where we have this transition really from cop to more coach, where it's important now to let our kids go explore and experience a little bit, where now we go from making all of their decisions for them to making more of those suggestions and then being that person to hold them accountable to taking the suggestions where we can let them choose, let them have the gift of choice a little bit of A or B 
Show them how. Show them how. Right. Let them make the wrong choice. Right. And then coach and course correct. Yeah. And then be the parent that says, well, you're now grounded for a week as a result of that choice that you made. Right. And I don't like that. Well, that's part of the choice that you make. And that's the concept concept that you and I love to talk about, which is completely escaping me right now. The concept of accountability, the concept of cause and effect is what I was looking for. Being responsible for their choices. Yes, I have this cause and it has this effect. And whether whether I like the outcome or not, I've got to learn to accept that outcome. Yes. It was probably around eight or nine years old with my boys that I felt like there was a lot of pushback as I would make decisions for them. And I really didn't make this transition from cop to coach. But as I think back to the opportunities of where I could have, the coach stage is really a short period of time. For my boys, it would have been a a short period of time where just being that coach who encourages them, makes them suggestions, roots them on, but lets them go out and experience failure. Because when they hit, at least for me, my boys, it was about 13, 14 years old where there was absolutely nothing that I could say that they wouldn't challenge me on. I would vouch for that. Yeah, absolutely nothing. And what I missed was this opportunity to transition from cop to coach to consultant where as a consultant, my primary job as a parent was really just about asking questions, not necessarily telling them what I thought they should do, but being very creative and asking them questions that would plant seeds. And then when they would ask me questions, be able to ask more questions and let life ultimately be their accountability partner. I felt as though the coaching phase, <laughs> I guess I know why it's longer because we have more children. Yeah. But I feel as though I've been in that coaching role for a long time, but absolutely with our oldest daughter, Emily, in, in much more of a consultant role. Yeah. I guess this the, is a cool concept. I, yeah. I, I really would have appreciated this if you delivered this manual like 20 years ago. Well, you know, if the best time to have delivered this. But I'm bump. Right. The point of looking at what stage of parenting you're at is I think whether you're a cop, whether you're a co- coach, or whether you're in that consultant phase, there's still room for allowing your children the freedom and flexibility to start figuring out who they are by letting them make some decisions. I mean, even a two-year-old, even a three-year-old, yes, we're in the cop phase, but there are still little decisions we can allow them to make for themselves and learn and start learning from a very young age. And I wish I had done some of that, but I'm doing that now. Like when they put a handful of dirt in their mouth that doesn't taste very good, even though it looks like chocolate? Right. Let them chew on that dirt and let them get that whole experience of how nasty it is. It's likely not going to do much damage other than create a very unpleasant experience for them, right? When it comes to those coach phases where our kids are kind of young adolescents, allowing them to make some mistakes, allowing them to perhaps stay up too late at night and be tired the next day and and learn the consequence of that, of what it's like to be tired in school all day, to be cranky in school all day. And then getting to this place of a consultant, you know, I've just, I'm really enjoying the fact that for the most part, everything that comes out of my mouth with my boys is a question. I get to plant seeds for them. It's so cool to watch them discover things on their own now right? and not have it be my suggestion, me telling them. Lucas just graduated high school. He has no idea what he wants to do. Amy and I have spent lots of time behind the seeds wondering what is his next step? What's he going to do? Where's he going to be? How's he going to fair. And I have all the confidence in the world 
that when he finds what he loves and he's passionate about, whoosh, he's going he's to go. take off and yeah. have a huge impact in the world. And and good for you guys to give him the space to, to figure that out. We have finally given him space to figure that out. So I do things now. I mean, here he is. He's been out of school for a couple of weeks, graduations behind him. And I'm so tempted when I see him sleeping till 11 o'clock. And I'm so tempted to want to walk in his room and tell him. Bang the garbage can lids? Bang the garbage can lids. Tell him to empty the dishwasher. Tell him to look for a job. Tell him that he's got to start thinking about enrolling in college. All these things that I want to tell him what to do. Right. That would be the, the natural, easy thing to do. However, I've learned how to ask him questions. Have you thought about what you want to do in the fall? And generally, I get... But then what I'll find is a couple of weeks later, he'll come back to me and ask me questions about the difference between Sierra College and American River College. Simply because I asked that question that planted a seed and it got him going to do the online work. Miles is waiting for his medical clearance from the FAA so he can solo. And I so much, as he's telling me how much he's waiting and waiting and waiting, as as someone who's been in business for a long time, I'm a big believer in follow-up. And I want so badly to tell him to pick up the phone and call the FAA and find out what's going on. Or, if I may, yep. put your cop uniform on and do it for him. Oh, that'd be the easiest that's, thing to do. That, that's, that's what I find, Yes, is I have this very old habit, going back to our old dog's new tricks, that, well, I can get this done for them faster, half the time. Right, faster. And then I pause and realize that, no, 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 I'm, in, I'm a consultant. And I just make suggestions, and I love the question concept, and let them get there at their pace, which is sounds like what you're doing with Lucas, which is awesome. And I did the same thing with Miles. I asked him a question. Do you have a phone number that you could follow up? Simple question. And I left it at that. I have no attachment to whether he does that or doesn't do that. It was just a question I was getting him to think about. And sure enough, a week later, he comes back to me and he said, hey, Dad, good news. I called the FAA, and the doctor in Oklahoma City is actually starting to review my case. But he did it like he came up with the idea. Oh, that's that's the most rewarding part. The most rewarding part, because now my son has this newfound confidence that he can actually get himself unstuck by taking some action because of a seed that that consultant in his life planted for him. That not only protects his confidence, but it helps build his confidence. Absolutely. And selfishly? What it's done for my relationship with my children is awesome. I have a relationship with my boys where we have unconditional love. We get along. We enjoy spending time together, which for anybody who's been part of my financial sobriety journey knows that that wasn't always the case with my boys. So if the best time to plant a tree was 21 years ago, you've done a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of course correcting to get the ship, in this case, the airplane, back on track. Yes. Well, and what I'm very happy about, and thank you for that, thank you for acknowledging that, it feels really good. What it's now allowed me to start doing is tackling some of those financial things with my children, starting to... That sounds like another episode. Oh, it absolutely is. Okay, good. I I think it's going to be our next episode, which is how do we take this concept of teach your children, and once we get past all of this baggage from the past and restructure that relationship with people, how do we then help our children develop this relationship with money? Again, knowing that one of my biggest regrets was I wish I had done this sooner, 
but starting to do it now with a 21 and an 18 year old and seeing how that's having immediate impact in their lives as it relates to this relationship that they have with money is awesome. I can't wait to talk about it. And with that, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety, I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.